Take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 30. We were there last week, and I want us to continue. And in just a moment, I'll read, starting in verse 18, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Uh, This morning, I'm going to talk about what obviously is one of the most important topics in the Bible, and that is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Everybody should want to be forgiven for their sins. And everybody in this room needs forgiveness, including me and you. That's because all of us are sinners. We have broken the laws of God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53.6 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. You know, when the Lord called us sheep, that was not a compliment, all right? Uh, Sheep aren't real smart sometimes. We go astray, and there's a penalty for our going astray. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages, the just penalty of sin is death. Ezekiel 18, 20 says the soul that sins will die. So here we are, we're all sinners And we're all going to die because of our sins. We've already died spiritually, and we need to know that one of these days we're going to die physically, and we're living in sin, and we've got a problem. And the only one who can help us is Jesus. We're lost. That's the bad news. But the good news is Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood to forgive us for our sins. He was the propitiation. He was the atoning sacrifice. He stayed on the cross until he could say to tell us die, it is finished, paid in full. I saw a young man the other day with a shirt on that says paid in full. And I wear one of these little to tell us die, uh, whatever you call this. This is the only jewelry I've got. I've got a watch, a ring, and two rubber bands. That's it. It's all the jewelry I have. I don't need a cabinet for my jewelry, all right? And I had worn that to Telestai band for about four years. And I said, here, take this. That's what it means. He said, I know. I've heard that word. And he put it on. And I got another one. (laughs) Jesus paid. Aren't you glad that he stayed on the cross until he could say, it is finished, paid in full to Telestai? He did that for you. He shed his blood. That's the only way you can be forgiven is through the blood of Jesus Christ. People don't like to talk about the blood nowadays. I like to talk about it. I like to sing about it. I love Andre Crouch's song, The Blood That Jesus Shed For Me, way back on Calvary. The blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountains, flows to the lowest valleys. The blood, the blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood. And if you will repent today and believe in Jesus and receive him as Savior, he'll save you. I don't care what you've done. He'll save you. And he is capable of doing that. You can be forgiven today. That's what I want to talk to you about today, the fact that God will forgive. Let's pray one more time. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that, 
Lord, this would be a time where people who desperately desire forgiveness would come to forgiveness. Oh, God, help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's just walk through the text and uh, see what the Bible says about God forgiving us. The first thing is, I want you to see that God desires to forgive you. God desires your forgiveness. So if you're wanting God to forgive you today, I have good news for you. He wants to forgive you. Look there in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Can we just read those words together, please? Read them good and strong. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Put that down. Underline that. Highlight that. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. It's not that God doesn't want to forgive you. If you're not forgiven, it's not God's fault. He wants to forgive you. God wants to forgive you. He longed to be gracious to these sinful people in Judah. And he was waiting patiently to have compassion on them. They had rejected him and his help, as we talked about it last week. They wanted the nation of Egypt to help them. They couldn't help. Egypt couldn't help them from the Assyrians, but that's, they were leaning on man when they should have been looking to the Lord. And God was saying, I want to help you. I want to forgive you. The Lord longs to be gracious to you, but they'd have none of it. My first job at a church was back in 1978, and I became a youth director. Nowadays, everybody's a pastor, you know. But back then, we were lowly youth directors. And so I took a job at First Baptist Milan. And the first week that I worked there, I commuted from my parents' house. I was about to be a senior at Union. And so I was living at home in the summer. And so I would drive from Dyersburg to Milan until I got a place over in Milan to stay for the summer. Well, I was driving early one morning across that 104 area going toward Trenton out of Dyersburg and then over to Milan. And I went through an area called the Forkadeer River Bottoms. Now, if you don't know what that is, there's a river called the Forkadeer River and the bottoms are the, it's just absolutely gooey mess out there. That's all it is. And I was driving through that water on both sides of the road and the right in the middle of the road, one of the biggest snapping turtles I've ever seen in my life. Seven o'clock in the morning. And I said, he is gonna get smashed if somebody doesn't help him. So I pulled over. How many of you ever tried to help a snapping turtle? Anybody? <laughs> it's an exercise in futility, all right? I reached down and he snapped at me. And I, I know where they got the name snapping turtle, all right? And I kind of came around behind him and he'd snap again and he was, turn around and snap at me. And about, that happened about eight times. And finally I said, then just die. <laughs> I got in my car and drove off. Came back right before sunset. He was splattered all over the road. Amen. Oh. <laughs> Don't feel bad for him. I tried to help him. 
I've met a lot of people like that. Oh, I have. They need help. But when you try to help them, they snap at you. I don't need your help. I don't need you, preacher. I don't need that Bible. I don't need the church. I don't need the gospel. I don't need Jesus. Don't tell me it doesn't happen. But the point is, God wants to forgive you today. He wants to be gracious to you. He wants to be compassionate to you. But you can say no to God. Ezekiel also was preaching to the same people. And Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 18, 23, God said through Ezekiel, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? This is God talking declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live. What does that say? It means God wants you to be forgiven. He goes on in Ezekiel 18, and he says in verses 31 and 32, cast away from you all your transgressions which you've committed. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die? Say that out loud with me. Why will you die? O house of Israel, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. One more time. Ezekiel, it's like he's saying it repeatedly. Ezekiel 33, 11, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? Can you not hear God talking to you in that verse, in these verses? Why will you die? Why? Why Why would you not let me forgive you? God wants to forgive you completely today. 1 Timothy 2 says this, this is good. It pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Oh, the Lord desires your forgiveness. But then Isaiah goes on and talks about God's conditions for forgiveness. You say, what conditions are they? Well, there are several, three at least. First of all, for God to forgive you, you must long for the Lord. You've got to have a yearning in your heart. I mean, a burning desire to know God. You've got to have that, and only God can give that to you. Look at verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. God longs to be forgiving to you. God waits on you to repent. And he's waiting on you to long for him. God longs for you. Do you long for God? Do you desire God as much as God desires you? You have to come to the point in your life where you long for the Lord Jesus Christ. What is, what is it that you wake up and think about? What, is, what do you go to bed? Is it money? Is it other people? Is it possessions? Is it your family? Is it a certain job? Is it your marriage or your health or your entertainment? What is it that, that just occupies your brain? What is it that you really want in life? I'll tell you what you really should want in life. You should long for the Lord. Long for the Lord. 
And then for God to forgive you, not only must you long for the Lord, you must hate your sins. I'm not just talking about saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I, I did it again. No, 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 no. I'm talking about getting to the point and God, I did that again and I hate that. I hate that sin, God. I hate it because I know you hate it. Let me tell you something. God doesn't hate sinners, but God hates sin. He hates it. He doesn't make excuses for it. You can't make excuses for your sin with God. He won't buy into that at all. You've got to come clean and say, God, I'm sorry. I cry out to you. Look at verse 19. O people in Zion, inhabitant of Jerusalem, you'll weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. He'll be gracious to you when you cry out in repentance. When he hears it, he will answer you. Zion, Jerusalem, cried out in repentance. That's what God says. If you'll do that, I promise I will forgive you. They had to come to the point where they not just were sorry, I'm sorry God did it. I did it again. No, no, no. I hate this, God. I don't hate myself and I don't hate you, but I hate this sin. Oh, God, have mercy on me. You've got to be broken and hate your sin. Do you hate your sin? If you're a glutton, if you overeat, do you hate the fact that you overeat? That's a sin. Do you hate it? I'm not saying hate food. I'm just saying, do you hate gluttony? You should. What about drunkenness? Do you hate the fact that you have to have something to drink to settle down when you get home? I just do it to calm my nerves. Why don't you try reading the Bible? Why don't you try prayer? You don't need the bottle. You don't need that. Are you a liar? Do you habitually tell lies? Exaggerate? That's another word for lying. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't lie, just exaggerate. Well, <laughs> you didn't tell the truth. You need to get to where you hate that. You, see, you, can't, you, you can't coddle your sin and come to Christ. Sin is like a snake. You don't see people petting their pet snake without getting bit. I'm telling you, you can't mess around with sin. You got to hate it. You can't have Jesus as your savior and then pamper your sin. Can't do it. Your sin nailed Jesus to the cross. It is wretched. Your sin made Jesus scream on the cross, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why did God forsake Jesus on the cross? Because of your sin. God put all of our sin upon Jesus in one putrid mass and turned away. And Jesus, for the first and only time throughout eternity, was separated from God. He was separated from God so that you wouldn't have to be separated from God. Zion, weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. You've got to hate your sin in order for God to forgive you. And then lastly, you've got to destroy your idols. Now, I'm going to get some meddling right here. 
Verse 22, you will defile your graven images overlaid with silver, your molten images plated with gold. You will scatter them as an impure thing and say to them, be gone. You got to destroy your idols. You got to destroy anything that you love more than Jesus Christ. Any relationship, anything, that's what an idol is. Not surprising that when God put the Ten Commandments together, he put the first two about idolatry. Exodus 20, verses 3 and following, you shall have no other gods before me. First commandment, no other gods. Second one is like to it. You shall not make for yourself an idol, any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth, beneath it, water under the earth. You shall not worship them. You shall not serve them. Now listen. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Heard Oprah Renfrey say, I don't like the fact that God's a jealous God. I do. I'm glad that he doesn't want me worshiping somebody else. I can only hope that Donna would be jealous. I guarantee you what, I wouldn't just be jealous. I'd hurt somebody, amen? God doesn't want you flirting around with other religions and flirting around with other things. That's idolatry. It is spiritual adultery. It's cheating on God. No wonder he hates it. And notice also, he says, I, the Lord, am a jealous God. I visit the iniquity. Now, you listen to this. We don't talk about this in Baptist churches, but this is in the Bible. Listen to this. Visiting iniquity on the fathers, on the children. Psychologists call it hereditary. Christians call it the sins of the fathers. I hear people say before, oh, I'm, I'm not bothering anybody. I'm just doing my own thing. It's not going to hurt anybody. I got news for you. Fathers, whatever your sins are, more than likely they're going to be passed on to your children. It's a spiritual thing. And the demons do it. The demons do it. To the fourth generation, count it up. That means you've got 30 people in your past. At least, if there's no divorce, you've got 30 people in your past. Four generations, you've got 30 people in your past that can pass on sin, sinful desires to you. It is a spiritual issue. And it's idolatry. It's spiritual immorality, cheating on God. Now, what are some of the idols in our day? How do we find out it? I'll tell you some. You, you want me to tell you what you worship? Now, don't get mad at me. Probably too late for that anyway. But if you want two places to look, what is it that I really emphasize? Look at your checkbook and your calendar. Your checkbook. Does anybody remember a checkbook? I don't have one, Brother Steve. I hadn't written a check in four years. I just Venmo and everything, all right. Okay, check your card, check whatever it is, all right? Check your Venmo, whatever you want to check. Check how you spend your money and how you spend your time. That's your idol. That's what you're 
emphasizing, all right? What are some idols in our day? How about cell phones? When you're on a plane, look around. When you're eating out, look around. There are times I just want to go over to some guys. They're sitting there with their wife on a date and looking at their phone. I just want to go say, hey, 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 put that down. She's right there. People stare at their phones and ignore one another. You can also make an idol out of your children. I know some people who have done that. They idolize their children. Nothing wrong with loving your children, but don't make them an idol. Husband, don't love your children more than you love your wife. Moms, don't love your children more than you love your husband. No. I got news for you. They'll be gone, and you're going to have have to come back to the one you started off with. You better keep that intact. What about sports? Parents obsessed with children's, their children's athletics and they take them out of church and they're gone on Sunday thinking their child's gonna be some great athlete and play college. More than likely they're not. Didn't wanna break your bubble there, but. They're not that good. They're really not. Hardly anybody gets a college scholarship. But you know what you're doing? When you take them out, consistently take them away from church on Wednesday night and Sundays, you're saying, this is more important than God. Now, you can write me a letter on that. I'll write you back (laughs) on that one. Other areas, money, sports, job, career, politics, golfing, hunting, fishing, likes on social media. Oh, that's just going to really bless you and make you a great person if you have a lot of likes. Kind of clothes you wear, the kind of car you drive where you live, where your children go to school. You got to destroy your idols. You say, I want to meet God's conditions for forgiveness. The Lord Jesus wants to forgive you today. The Lord Jesus wants to be gracious and compassionate to you today. But you have to destroy your idols. You have to long for the Lord. You have to hate your sin. You have to destroy your idols. You have to meet God's conditions. You have to. So God desires your forgiveness and God has conditions before he gives his forgiveness. But let's get to the really good part. What are the rewards of forgiveness? What are the rewards? God doesn't just discipline you. He, when you do wrong, he rewards you when you do right. Five rewards, first of all, When he forgives you, he gives you his grace. He rewards you with grace. Look at verse 19. O people in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be 
gracious to you. Read those words with me, please, from the screen. He will surely be gracious to you. What? At the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. When you meet his conditions, he forgives you. He will be gracious to you. He forgives you by grace. What is grace? I like the acronym. I don't, I don't think you can beat it. God's redemption at Christ's expense. God's redemption at Christ's expense. Grace is not something that you can earn, not something that you can merit. It is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one could boast. If we could earn his forgiveness, we would boast about the fact that we could earn it. God won't let us be proud in his sight, no. Titus 3, 5 said he saved us. We didn't save ourselves. If you're a Christian, you didn't become a Christian by yourself. No, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. It's not based on what you've done, but according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit of God. That's how you get the grace of God. God rewards you by giving you his grace. Uh, there's another reward. He gives you his answers to prayer. He gives you his answers. You know, if you talk to somebody, it's kind of nice if they answer you, right? But I mean, doesn't it just blow your mind that God Almighty will answer you? When you call out to him in prayer, doesn't that just amaze you that God Almighty God will answer you. Almighty God will answer my prayer. And look at me. The reason some of you are not hearing from God, the reason some of you are not sensing God, the reason you don't see God moving is you're not praying. I don't understand it. But when you pray, God when you talk to God, God does things that he won't do if you don't talk with him. One thing is he'll talk back to you. He'll speak to you. You talk to God, God will talk to you. But it's not just talking. God will do things for you. He'll open doors that no man can shut. He'll shut doors that no man can open. He will, as we're about to say, instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go, guide you with his eye upon you, and he will bless you. I'm telling you, the people who pray for their children, their children are more blessed than people who don't pray for their children. You say, well, that's not fair. What are you talking about? That's kind of like saying, well, I stayed alive because I ate food. The other person died because they didn't. That's not fair. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? If it takes, if you got to eat food to live, then I'm going to eat food because I want to live. And if you want God to move, 
You've got to pray. You've got to spend time with him. You've got to love him and be in awe of him. Look at verse 19. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. That's not just some little prayer, God bless me. He's crying out to God. Oh, he wants you to cry out to him. Get in the room by yourself. He hears it. He will answer you when you cry out to God. Oh, God, save our nation. Oh, God, move in our city. Oh, God, move in our church. Oh, God, move in my family. Oh, God, my children need you. Oh, God, please protect them from all these dangerous influences out here. Oh, God in heaven. You got to get to where you cry out to God. You pray, you ever pray like that? That's why, that's why, that's why Jesus said, shut the door. You, you, you go down the street crying out, you might get arrested. Just go, by, go behind the door, get by yourself, and start calling out to God. Cry out to God. Get real with God. This is, listen, we're not playing around, folks. We're in a war. We're in a war. And we need to call on the Lord. My life's verses are about prayer. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. God gave me this in college. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity. I'm going to give you a future and a hope. Then you will, what? Say it out loud. Call upon me. And come and pray to me. Come and pray. It means that you're going to go to a place that is quiet and spend time with God and cry out to him. Oh, you're going to come and pray to me and I will listen to you whether you feel like I am or not. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. When you come to me with all your heart, I'll give you all of my heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. I'll restore your fortunes. I'll gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. One of the greatest blessings of all that God will give us, the rewards, is he will answer our prayers. He'll give us his answers. There is nothing better than an answer from God. Nothing better. And then another reward is he for, when he forgives, he gives us his presence. Look at verse 20. Although the Lord has given you bread of probation and water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. He's not going to hide himself. No. He's going to come to you. God's greatest gift to any of us is himself. If y'all hadn't noticed, I kind of like Donna. That's the understatement of the day. She's the greatest gift to me outside of salvation. Her greatest gift to me is not her beauty, although she's obviously beautiful, not, not her brilliance, although she's obviously brilliant. Her greatest gift to me is her presence. I just enjoy being around her. I told her if she left me, I was going to go with her. <laughs> I just like to be around her. And I got news for you. I just like to be around Jesus. He doesn't have to do anything for me. 
He doesn't have to bless me. He's already blessed me. I, I just enjoy being around him. I'm not looking for more stuff. I'm not looking for anything. I'm just looking for him. If all heaven is, is his presence, heaven will be wonderful. <laughs> I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 1611. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Oh, God forgives us and he gives us his presence. He also gives us his guidance. Look at verse 21. Your ears. This is one of my favorite verses in all the book of Isaiah. Your ears will hear a voice behind you saying this is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or the left. God's guidance is personal. He said your ears will hear a word behind you you. It's assuring this is the way. Walk in it. It is pervasive. Whenever you turn, it's specific. Whether you turn to the right or the left, people say, oh, God doesn't have a plan for me. Yes, he does. He's going to tell you. If you'll listen to him, when you talk to him, he'll talk to you, and he will say, go right, go left. That's pretty specific. God guides you. That's one of his great rewards. And then finally, he just gives you his abundance. Look at verse 23. Then he'll give you rain for the seed which you sow in the ground and bread from the yield of the ground and it will be rich and plenteous. You say, what's the big deal about rain? Go to Israel and find out. It's a big desert for most of it. And rain is very important to their crops but also just to be able to live. And bread, I'm not going to go on any diet that says you can't have bread. Because <laughs> Jesus said, give us this day our daily what? Bread. bread. Amen. <laughs> That's a biscuit if I ever heard it in my life. Amen. <laughs> right there in the Bible. But God's going to give us sustenance. He's going to take care of us. He's going to give us abundance. All abundance is. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's going to make you rich. All I'm saying is you're going to have enough for you and a little bit more to share with somebody else. That's what the Bible calls abundance. So why wouldn't you want the grace of God? Why wouldn't you want his forgiveness? The Lord Jesus wants to forgive you today. The Lord Jesus wants to be gracious to you today. The Lord Jesus wants to be compassionate to you today. He desires your forgiveness. His conditions are you've got to long for him. You've got to hate your sin, destroy your idols. But if you do that, he will reward you. He'll give you his grace, his answers to prayer, his presence, his guidance, yea, his abundance, if you will just call on 